live from wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. Ah, yes. The sweet sound of bells ringing me in as I enter the SNL Hall of Fame. Welcome once again to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. I am Jamie Dew, as you just heard from Doug Donatz. Thanks, Doug. It's uh, always nice to have a voice like that calling you in. So there's that. How are you doing this week? I hope you are well. We've had a a nice run of episodes through October, and now here we are in November. And uh, the show has been a lot of fun this season. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed myself. I found it getting better and better. Now, whether or not last night's Kieran Culkin episode did it for you or not uh, remains to be seen. I'm recording this prior to airing, so I can't offer you an opinion. But I'm sure if, again, based on what we've seen this season, they seem to be cooking along in just the right way. So there's that. What else can I tell you about the SNL Hall of Fame? Well, I can tell you that each week we visit the Hall of Fame, or are visited rather, by a guest who brings along a candidate to add to the ballot. Once that ballot is full at the end of this season, we will open voting and voters will have to choose among the nominees. They'll have to choose 12 and they will submit those. I'll do some tabulation. And if you're not ready for primetime player or musical guest or host or writer exceeds the threshold of 51%, or gets 51%, I, su- I should say. They don't have to exceed it. They don't have to hit 52%, or I would say 52%. They need to hit 51%. They need to be on 51% of the ballots that are cast. And if that is the case, they will be part of the first class of the SNL Hall of Fame. So it's very exciting, and it's very easy. All you have to do is listen and play along when the time comes. If you're interested in joining us as a guest, uh, please reach out, jamie at snlhof.com. We'd love to talk turkey, see if we can record uh, a new episode or two. That would be great. There's some great episodes coming up in the next little while. And today is no exception. Today, I'm joined by SNL superfan Thomas Senna, and Thomas and I get the pleasure of chatting about Second City alum, Wisconsin native, tour de force, Chris Farley. Chris Farley was a cast member on the show during the 90s. He had a really meteoric rise to fame, ended up in the movie pictures and doing all sorts of great stuff. 
But he's often, uh, you know, most often remembered for his time on Saturday Night Live. And rightly so. He, he burned out like a, uh, like a lightning bolt with all that energy and all that creativity bubbling out from him and his, you know, sort of ah shucks kind of manner. Chris Farley, I don't know, to me, defines what a Hall of Famer should be. I'm not sure if his short career will affect voting, but we will have to wait and see. For now, let's enter the hall and talk to our friend Thomas Senna as he adds Chris Farley to the ballot of the SNL Hall of Fame. Like, I mean, I watched a bunch today just to, keep, yeah. I have a, I, I'm just, I have a terrible memory, mm-hmm. like terrible. So I refreshed myself today with some Farley okay. and man, I was laughing out loud so much. Like it what is, a tour de force. Oh, a, a force. Powerful. Yeah. 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 Just such a powerful performer. Like Lauren, that's what he, that's how he described Farley. So I bet that was, it's been enjoyable for me to go back and. I watched I watched um, the documentary I Am Chris Farley that came out. I've never heard ago. of this. Um, yeah, I think his brother Kevin was behind it. it came out in 2015. Um, I just rented it on Saturday and I watched it, and uh, that was great too. Um, I, I've read Chris Farley. Um, it's called the Chris Farley Show. It's like an oral history of him, and I read that um, just a couple of years, like a few years ago. I read it so. Chris was like, he's very near and dear <laughs> uh, performer to me just in general. So I, I bet I'm sure you had such a blast um, going through it. Oh yeah. So before we get into why Chris Farley, I think one of the things that I'm noticing people asking me about this podcast is like methodology. Did you, did you approach um, this with any sort of methodology for inclusion? Like, uh, were there hallmarks that you were looking for, for nominating Chris Farley? Um, th- I think the first, I chose Chris Farley at first because of just a feeling that he evoked. I, I didn't really, I couldn't sit there and tell myself nuts and bolts and technical comedic aspects, but it was just a feeling like, man, I love Chris Farley. Like he really left an imprint on me. I think I could talk about him. And actually, I don't know if you've ever seen this website called one SNL a day.com. I have. Yes. So I used that actually and went through, literally I scrolled through every episode and basically pretty much just trying to look at the screenshots that the guy picked of each sketch. And just, if something like really called out to me, like, Oh yeah, I remember that one. I would just, um, jot it down here in my word document. Um, so I, I really literally just went through one SNL a day, every episode that Chris Farley was in and just skimmed through um, just to kind of jog my memory. And then I went after that, I went back and actually watched those sketches. 
um, and just to, to, to re-familiarize with myself with them. And there wasn't a sketch that I hadn't seen before. So it was just re-watching sketches. Um, so tell me a little bit more about this book that you read, uh, The Chris Farley Show. Uh, so The Chris Farley Show um, book, I think it was released over a decade or so ago. Um, but it was really just going through Chris's life. Um, he grew up in in Madison, Wisconsin and, and everything like that. And it was just people telling stories about Chris. Like it made me feel like, uh, like I was sitting there at the table with, with Tim Meadows and Adam Sandler and, and Bob oh, Odenkirk wow. and all of these guys just, uh, talking about Chris, you know? And, um, it was such a really neat insight into the guy who I thought I knew just from how he portrayed himself and to people kind of confirming like, yes, that's how Chris really was. And I actually used to work with somebody who knew Chris Farley, who grew up with wow. with that family. So he would tell me stories about Chris um, from their days in Wisconsin. And um, really funny, he said Chris was really funny, kind of the life of the party, would, would go the extra mile to make everybody laugh. Um, and just the, the, the stories that were in this book, the Chris Farley show just really, uh, really emphasized and, and, and hammered down the home, what I already kind of felt, uh, about Chris Farley. So when we connected, yes, when we can, when we connected and talked about, you know, who you might choose for cast, for the SNL Hall of Fame, it seemed like a, a slam dunk. Yeah. To borrow a phrase. Yeah. Uh, no, it was absolutely a slam dunk. Chris Farley. You're, you're right on that. Yeah. He he just evoked this this emotion uh, in me and and a lot and S and many SNL fans, you know. And I think absolutely. just kind of thinking about the show in general, when people when people think about Saturday Night Live and what they love about the show, and especially what they love about the show between like 1975 and the mid 90s or when they were children it it's not uh they don't break down sketches and say well I loved this punchline or I loved this joke or I loved uh you know this set piece they don't really to break it down technically it's really this I loved it's a it's a, it's a and it's an an emotion sort of thing it's a visceral kind of thing and that's what Chris Farley did for me it was I loved Chris Farley and the way he worked on a visceral sort of sort of level. It was the imprint that he left on me um, is what made it a, a slam dunk to to choose Chris Farley for this. And there's technical aspects to Chris and his performance that that make it so he deserves to be in the SNL Hall of Fame. But it's really like the 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 emotional imprint that that he left as well that makes him a slam dunk. Yeah, there's just something about seeing him on screen. He he grabs the camera, you know? He just, he absolutely grabs the camera. And whether it's, you know, a bit part that he's playing, but but more, more often when he's playing, you know, a front and center role, he absolutely dominates. He, he is just so dominant. And I know that in my research, uh, John Belushi was somebody that he admired yes. and like, he's 
he's got that. He's he's got that just nailed. Yeah, you just <laughs> like couldn't look away. Enigma. Yeah. Exactly. You just c- could not look away. And he, Chris, did um, idolize Belushi, but he also made sure um, to dis- to differentiate himself from Belushi. Um, you know, growing up, he's a se- Chris is a Second City guy. He he uh, honed his skills in Chicago, and that's kind of Belushi stomping grounds uh, as well. And he def- Chris definitely did idolize John Belushi. Um, and, and of course you're right. Like, you know, his tenure, tenure, and especially when he first got on the show, the, the, the comparison to Belushi was, um, was just a no brainer. And I had thought about that, um, just kind of reminiscing about Chris and, and maybe his ties to John Belushi. And there was always something, and I didn't catch John Belushi live. Um, I'm, I was, I was still a very small child when he passed away. Um, but just, the sketches and just the things and movies that I've seen John Belushi in, he always, he was very funny and I definitely respect him and I'm sure you'll be talking about him at some point, but there was always something that I felt that I didn't know about Belushi. Like there was some sort of humanity that maybe he purposely didn't quite portray. It seemed like he was always in character. So I felt like watching Belushi, I was watching a really incredible performer, but I didn't feel like I knew who John Belushi was. Whereas Chris Farley, his humanity soaked through. So I would watch Chris Farley on screen and felt like I knew who Chris Farley was. He was this down-to-earth Midwestern guy. I could see the humanity come out in him. John Belushi was like a super talented alien from outer space who came down <laughs> who came down here to perform comedy for us whereas chris farley was the the guy next door to me i felt like i knew chris farley more than belushi and that's not a criticism of belushi no i think you're bang I at think all you're bang but it's on. just the feeling that i got like farley was a, was a was a version of john belushi who i felt like i could connect with uh yeah on a human level yeah absolutely so it's interesting that uh, I mean he comes from Chicago. He uh, interesting tidbit, I suppose. He started Second City the same day as Stephen Colbert, and oh, um, yes, that's right. <laughs> he was part of the tour co initially, and then graduated up and did three reviews as part of the main stage before arriving in New York and setting setting the world on fire on Saturday Night Live almost immediately. Almost immediately, he was he wasn't a feature player. This was the I don't know if you remember, but there was a stretch of years where they did featured players, and then they did with, and then they did the repertory cast. Yes, exactly. And he was he was with, mm-hmm. like it was with. Like it was almost <laughs> so like I, I always picture like a Whitney Brown as like yeah. the, that quintessential with guy. So you're right. That's, that's right. where Chris started. <laughs> yeah, it was him and. Um, him and Meadows and Chris Rock and Julia Sweeney, I think uh, I might be wrong, but um, I'm pretty sure they were the they were the ones. And he graduated to the main cast the next year, so yeah. he he was only one year in that role, and then and then boom, he's part of the main main stage at SNL. Is there anything about that that early period SNL Chris Farley that jumps out at you? Do you remember the first time you saw him? 
I remember seeing him, which is odd because I, I know, I know that you know a sketch that we'll talk about um, maybe a little more in depth is Chippendales. Obviously, that was in his fourth episode, Chippendales. Jeez, but, Louise! Yeah, but I remember Chris Farley showing up in a Twin Peaks sketch, and that was his first. That was the first time he ever appeared on the show. He was in this Twin Peaks sketch where Kyle MacLachlan was hosting, and they were doing um, this parody of Twin Peaks, like it was the Who Killed Laura Palmer, right? And so um, Chris was playing the I, f- I forgot the character in Twin Peaks' name, um, but he I'm was this this punk guy with a ponytail or whatever. <laughs> he was basically admitting, like, no, it was me, I did it. And he was telling Kyle MacLachlan, his the detective, like, like, no, um, I'm admitting to it. And Kyle MacLachlan was still like trying to solve the case. And the joke was that you know he was so attached to the town that he was just trying to like keep the case going. And I remember Victoria Jackson played a big role. Mike Myers played the little person who who came out and did his thing but chris just came out and yeah it was almost like who is this guy and you're right uh you brought up that he that he just owned the camera and and he was a performer where if you even if he was just talking normally and it was just on screen or just next to somebody like you couldn't help but but not look at, at farley yeah so the chippendale sketch yes i think that's a sketch i remember watching I remember watching with my family. Uh, I think my mother and father were both, they both, this was at the time where it was known that I stayed up and they stayed up with me because they were probably watching it in their room anyway. Okay. All those years that I was sneaking watching it in the main <laughs> TV. So now all of a sudden we watched it together and I can remember my mother, um, like pissing her pants, like just <laughs> pissing her pants at that sketch because Swayze was such a sex symbol at that time. Oh, absolutely. I actually brought up the sketch to my wife a couple of days ago and I brought up Patrick Swayze and I could tell she was kind of like swooning and I looked at her and just kind of laughed. I'm like, wow, honey. Then. <laughs> but that's the effect that he had <laughs> at the time. And it it just showcases his his reckless abandon like mm-hmm. and his physicality the the physicality that this that this gentle giant had he he was so nimble he was so athletic you know? man yes oh my gosh he he do like the worm in that sketch at one point he did the worm next to patrick swayze and i'm like i couldn't even see patrick swayze being able to accomplish that but here you have Farley utilizing his like football and rugby skills and his natural athleticism just to, he was like a bull in a China shop in, in that <laughs> sketch. Great. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. And it was, it was the physical style, but also a lot of things, a, a lot of the reason why I love that sketch and some people um, could, could maybe overlook it. It was, it also showed his like kind of down home, ah, shucks kind of, kind of style too you know after they danced and he and patrick swayze uh talked to each other in the back they were like uh rooting for each other and they weren't enemies they were actually like had a bond and were like good friends (laughs) in that sketch and you could just see chris kind of with his aw shucks like like oh you were so great man so you immediately saw the physical energetic chris and just kind of the human 
um, Midwestern nice guy, Chris, and just in that one sketch. His eyes. Yeah. He's got these eyes that just, um, like you're right. They just express that humanity so well. Yeah. Yeah, That was, that was his fourth episode too. And usually we don't see, if you think about, even think about this, the the cast for this season and, and those featured players, I don't know if they would really give like Punky Johnson and, and Andrew Dismukes and those, and Lauren Holt, like they, I don't see, I can't see them putting those like a uh, showcase, like showcase spot like that. But Chris couldn't be denied. And even before he got to SNL, Mike Myers, who performed with him at second city, he said he knew immediately and 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 i get the feeling this this isn't even hindsight talking i genuinely believe that mike myers saw chris perform and said oh this guy's gonna gonna go and do big things because he just he he couldn't he couldn't be stopped he gave lorne and the writers no choice but to uh but to feature him and and it was jim downey who wrote that sketch who was a seasoned writer for snl um, who who wrote that sketch and gave him a chance uh, as well? Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that was a Jim Downey sketch, and um, I actually Not very it's interesting. Jim Downey, yeah, <laughs> go to a, go to a Jim Downey rabbit hole <laughs> after that one. Um, but the f- interesting thing too about that sketch is I think it brings up some conflicted feelings uh, in a weird way, and kind of speaks to maybe who Chris was. Um, because he, leading up to that that week, he was good friends with Tom Arnold. So I guess he had called Tom Arnold and expressed some slight discomfort about possibly yes. having to do that sketch. He said, like, you know, Lauren wants me to be like the fat guy dancing with Patrick Swayze. And I don't know, are they going to laugh at me? And, you know, this and that. And, and are I they think, laughing for the right reason? Yeah. And I think that's something that Tom Arnold maybe brought up to him too, is, you know, like, like they're, you know, they're laughing, then they'd be laughing with you and, you know, not at you. And, um, but I know Chris um, did say that he was hesitant going in. And um, I know Chris Rock and Bob Odenkirk have been outspoken about how much they don't like that sketch. Um, which is interesting because they say that, that they were just making fun of, Chris for for being fat and they thought it was kind of mean. Um, I personally was laughing with him and I admired him in that sketch because just it was the not give a crap kind of attitude and he was just himself, you know, and I know uh, Bob Odenkirk and Chris Rock, um, they knew Chris and they're, they, you know, I think they're entitled to their opinions. Um, but I hope they're at least comforted to know that I think most people were, were felt a bond with Chris Farley and were laughing with him, um, during that sketch. Yeah. Well said. So if you had to sum it up as to why he belongs in the hallowed halls of something as uh, hoity-toit as the (laughs) SNL Hall of Fame, how do you do that? I think Chris Farley had that perfect secret sauce that we look for in a sketch performer where he, he could be that he could play the physical part perfectly. Um, but he could also, 
you know, dial it down and show some of that humanity play. He could play the straight man every now and then. Um, even though in his later seasons, they really leaned on the screaming Chris Farley kind of archetype. Sure did. But I think especially in the early years um, on SNL, he was pretty versatile. Um, he was a tour de force, but also you would see him in uh, in a sketch. Uh, I think it was, um, that might have been in the middle season. Uh, yeah, uh, when, when he started the Chris Farley show. He was right. just like this, aw shucks, like that was the perfect encapsulation of Chris. So, he gave you, uh, he took you on a ride with every emotion, I think, that you could you could have in, you know, while watching like sketch comedy. Uh, and and, and that's, what, that's what Chris did. And I think he left such an impression on people um, that for me, he was a slam dunk um, for the SNL Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> What are some other highlight sketches that you want to talk about? Uh, I think uh, a pre-tape one that sticks out was was Schmidt's gay, and uh, oh my god, that was a classic with he and Sandler um, just just riffing yes. on the um, the stereotypical beer commercials that showed scantily clad women and objectified women. And, you know, they turned it around and he and Sandler were ogling, um, these, these men, uh, around the pool. And, and Chris played that so earnestly. And he's even like, he lives on in a, in a gif where he's, he's raising his sunglasses. Like I see that gift to this very day as a response to different things. Uh, but that, that one definitely stood out. And I, and I, I liked that as a kid, uh, um, funnily enough, cause I understood the humor. I understood that they were poking fun at the, the, um, kind of, I'm gonna say toxic masculinity, but in, but in a lot of ways it was those beer commercials sure. yeah. were absolutely, um, so Schmidt's gay. That was like a uh, season two for, uh, for Farley. Um, the Chris Farley show is one of my all time favorites. We could spend a lot of time talking about, we could Chris spend Farley. two hours talking about just, just his interview with Paul McCartney. I think. <laughs> remember that remember that interview that he did with Jeff Daniels? Remember, remember that one? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Um hi, I'm Chris Farley and this is the Chris this is the Chris Farley show and uh, tonight uh, my host is Jeff Daniels, one of the greatest actors um, around, I guess. And, <laughs> God, I hate doing this part, man. I never know what to say. No, no, you're doing fine, Chris. You're doing good. Really? Yeah. No, I'm not. Anyway. <laughs> Mr. Daniels has done the Purple Rose of Cairo, Terms of Endearment, um, Arachnophobia, and uh, Something Wild, which is an awesome flick. Oh, thanks. Thank you. You remember in uh, Something Wild when uh, Melanie Griffith had you handcuffed to the bed? Remember that? Yeah. And you, you had to make that phone call, remember? And you were chained to the thing and you couldn't get away. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> okay, so you were uh, also in the Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, remember when you were doing your movie and... Uh, <laughs> Mia Farrow was watching, and then you came down off the screen and talked to her. And you were in black and white when you were on the screen, but then when you talked to her, you were in color. 
Yeah, what about it? Um, you remember that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that won some awards, didn't it? Uh, no, not really. Oh, God dang it, what an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, uh, oh, you're doing another movie. What was, what was that called? Uh, the Butcher's Wife with Demi Moore. Oh, yeah, Demi Moore. She's married to Bruce Willis, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you see Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Remember when he was, uh, he had to cross all that broken glass without his shoes on, and there was nothing he could do about it, so he just walked down all the broken glass with his bare feet? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did, did you like that? Yes. Yeah, I did too. That was awesome. Okay, we're going to open up the lines now if you want to talk to Jeff Daniels. Okay, there's someone on the line. Hello? 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 Yeah, is Jeff Daniels there? Yeah, he's right here. Go ahead. Yeah, hello. Yeah, um, Jeff, my name is Dawn, and um, do you remember that scene in Arachnophobia when you went into that barn and you found that big spider? Yes. And you figured out why there were all these spiders everywhere? Uh, yes, I was in that scene. I remember. Oh, well, yeah, it was great. Thank you. You sound familiar. Did you call in last week when Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the show? Oh, yeah, that was me. You remember when you asked him <laughs> if he remembered if he, when he said, I'll be back in both Terminators? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that, that was great. Well, th thanks for calling. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. The stage guy's waving at me. Oh, we're out of time. Well, that's what it means when he waves like that. Remember a couple of weeks ago when you were doing the show and I didn't see you waving? Well, that's it for this week's show. Thank you to Jeff Daniels, um, one of the greatest actors of our time. Or, God, I hate trying to end these things. I suck at that. Was, was that okay? No, no. That, you, you're doing good. You, you did. You did fine. Yeah. You did fine. Okay. okay I hope so. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He uh, in uh, the third season. He he. Uh, or actually, this was the second season. Um, he did Jeff Daniels and Martin Scorsese interviews. Uh, right. For the Chris Farley show, but the Paul McCartney interview when he said, "You remember when you remember the, when you were in the Beatles?" That like. That line just cracks me up to this day. Like, <laughs> but that was Chris. That was an exaggerated version of Chris. But that was really close to how he was. He was very shy. Um, he, I think in a lot of ways, he felt like um, he wasn't worthy of being in the presence of like a Paul McCartney. Um, so that's how he I also feel like it's it. a bit of a, it's a bit of a rib on Lauren too, right? Like it's a bit of a rib, like, because most of the guests that are on the Chris Farley show are sort of the crew that Lauren hangs with. Right. Yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like McCartney, why was Martin Scorsese there? Like, I think Scorsese was just visiting Lauren actually. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't even think he was part of the show in any real way that episode other than just being friends with Lauren. So I think you're right. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. That's a really good point. <laughs>
Um, so yeah, there's just something about it that like, I'm, I'm guessing he was, he was acting as the voice of the entire cast that were sort of like, holy shit, Martin Scorsese is like just hanging out with Lauren Michaels this week. This is crazy. Yeah. Remember that, you know, and, <laughs> and then leave it to Chris Farley to, to just say, yeah, I'll, I'll pitch a sketch. <laughs> I'll pitch a sketch where this is what we do. You exactly. Know? Exactly. And I always imagine too, like maybe the people who knew Chris behind the scenes and worked with him saw him as just this, this aw shucks kind of guy with nervous energy around people. I think David Spade was uh, maybe talking about this where Chris would be kind of nervous around women and he would like, he, he would even say stuff and then hit his head like, oh, that was dumb. What an idiot or whatever, like <laughs> how he does in the Chris Farley show. But I think the the writers probably took a lot of elements of who Chris really was and and helped him construct that. And that's what I mean with his humanity. You know, I can't imagine, and again, this isn't a negative, but I can't imagine watching John Belushi do something like that. The John no, Belushi I, no. show and kind of exposing himself that way. You know, I can't. No, there's something about Belushi that's like too cool for school, right. kind of. Mm-hmm. Not not to not to ride on him, but no, uh, no, he was incredible. But it's just he was more of an enigma, and he was more guarded. Where Chris, that's right. Chris put himself out there. And I think the Chris Farley show was the perfect encapsulation of Chris as a human being. So that one always um, sticks out as well. Um, as does Matt Foley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The motivational where, where do you speaker, go with Matt Foley. Yes, exa- I mean, and the specifically the the his the first one with uh, Christina Applegate. That's right. Um, that was uh, that was the peak uh, of Matt Foley, and um, I, I whenever That's I watch like- it, I watch different things. I don't know about you, but I just notice different things in that sketch <laughs> when I watch it. Well, you stop watching him and you start watching everybody else and, and you feel envious that they had a front row ticket to the, to the literal Chris Farley show. And he was playing for them. Like he was, he's playing for the camera and he's doing a good job with that, but he's also playing for this tight little ensemble that's in front of him. And he's not, he's professional enough to, to not try and make them break, but he's straddling that line. That's like, I need to be good enough that if they do break, I'm doing my job. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he may have been trying just a hair to see if he could make David Spade break just a little <laughs> bit. And you can tell like, like uh, next time the listeners, next time you watch this, watch David Spade, watch Christina Applegate. And yeah. watch them try to hold their laughter in. And Christina Applegate has talked about this in a documentary they did on Chris a few years ago. And she said that was rough. She said, I she said I had one line in that whole sketch and I could barely get it out. I was sitting there trying to compose myself because she, yeah, you're right. She had this front row um, to the Chris, front row seat to the Chris Farley show. I'm so jealous of Julia Sweeney who played the mom in that sketch and Christina Applegate and even Phil Hartman uh, for having a front row seat to that. You're right. And he, when he picked up David Spade during the sketch, Spade didn't know that was going to happen. That was just something Farley did. 
He just went with he it. He just went with it. So when he picked up Spade, everybody was like, oh my gosh. And you can, when he dropped Spade on the couch, you could see David Spade just kind of like trying, really trying to hold in his laughter because he did not expect that. And I don't think they expected him to jump through the table either. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I think that was a surprise to everybody um, as well. And uh, Phil Hartman did an amazing job of, <laughs> of not breaking. Oh, they all did. When you're watching just a bull like that do his thing. Um, that's impressive. I rewatched the the one where he's in the prison today. Okay. Uh, it's one of the later ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Might be even the last one. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was like a scared straight with, kind um, of premise. The scared straight one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's not quite as good, but it's it's still really funny because it's like they're all you know, spade. And Schneider and Tim Meadows are all, you know, in this semicircle. Mm-hmm. And they're just they're just sitting back watching him do his thing. And Martin Lawrence is really funny in it as well. But like they're just watching him do this thing. And and uh it's great. It's 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 just great. And then, you know, you you talk about the humanity that you've talked about already. Which is the catchphrase, right? Yeah. The you know, live in a van down by the river. There's something that is so deeply sad about. Yeah, you're you're like empathetic, like you. Yes. Yeah, you you really feel for this Matt Foley character. Um, you feel sorry for him that like what what circumstances led to him having to live in a van down by the river? Why is he so eager to want to move in with that family? Or uh, you know that he does bring out the humanity. Uh, in that, that's a, that's a really excellent point. Uh, I think with that character too, even though you know there was maybe diminishing returns as far as um, when Matt Foley reappeared, but it was always going to be uh, an engaging, fun sketch because of Chris, and they put him in different sorts of um, situations. Like you mentioned, the the prison. He was in the prison. He was. Uh, um, there was one I think in the last season where he he was um in I think Mexico but it was in Spanish. He did like a Spanish oh, Matt Foley kind of thing and uh and even that worked for me because of Chris Farley. And you cuz you're just also sitting there waiting for that catchphrase. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So good. Exactly. And of course I would say it to uh, my friends and I would do Matt Foley impressions and repeat it to each other and, and all of that. So he, he definitely left impression on all of us. The other character that I think that I don't know if you've got him jotted down, but the other character that to me always stands out and, and I feel like I use in real life is um, he appeared on weekend update always. Yeah. Uh, Bennett, Bennett Brower. Bennett Brower. The uh, and I'm doing the air quotes. Bennett Brower, who appeared on <laughs> Weekend Update, and <laughs> yes, yes, I love. I did actually write people. Bennett down as a highlight. Yeah, so just so wonderful, just such a great highlight of that Weekend Update um, time. Yeah, pretty similar character, you know, just Chris Farley looking uncomfortable in a suit, <laughs> a suit maybe maybe a size too small for him. Uh, glasses on, the doesn't understand him sweat. the news. Yes, yeah. you can see the flop sweat. You can see it all, and it's just brilliant. Yeah, there was a just there was brilliant. one memorable one where where it was a blooper where he was supposed to be whisked away on a wire, 
and the wire and he, they were lifting him up and it got caught on a week the weekend update sign the wire did so kevin nealon had to kind of get up and improvise and un, un uh, or loosen up the wire so they can actually like uh really hoist uh Bennett Brower <laughs> off of the set, but it, and and Chris improvised when he was kind of stuck there. He's like, I have a little bit of a weight problem, and I don't know if they could get me up. And he was just kind of like, that was all just improvised by Chris. And I think maybe a character like that, there it probably tapped into some genuine insecurities that Chris had that he There's was able no to share a, it. share it comedically. So that's an excellent example. That's a very good example, Jamie. Yeah, so good. And you know, we, well, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, we we I think we alluded to his last season, and and it's kind of a famous season twenty in SNL. It's really famous amongst fans because it's of, of it being a train wreck kind of season. Uh, but I think Chris had the best sketch in in what was an otherwise pretty bad season, the Japanese game show sketch. Oh. Gosh, that was in yes, season five. So I have that. fond memories of that one. And to me, my mind says that it wasn't in that season because I don't have fond memories of that season. But that sketch in particular, when Chris plays, of course, like this guy from Wisconsin, who's he and his wife are vacationing in Japan. He somehow ends up on this game show. And I think if, you know, there's maybe Mike some problematic like Mike Myers playing an Asian, which he, he really leaned on that oddly around that sure time. Um, but I think, you know, setting aside um, him playing this, you know, Asian stereotype, I think the actual, um, the actual material was, was really great. They were actually speaking Japanese for most of that. Uh, sketch as well um, really yeah uh-huh and this, I, I was wondering i've just i just saw some some comments on i think one of the videos that i watched um of that sketch but somebody actually took the time to do like a little transcript of what they were saying and most of it was japanese um uh, which i guess maybe excuses it a little bit but uh, chris just played this like kind of like just happy to be here kind of character i'm a fish out of water but i'm just kind of kind of go with it and um that that was that was a really memorable sketch in an otherwise um kind of dismal that was season the year that like basically at the end of the year like i don't know two-thirds of the cast was like ceremoniously uh dumped yeah yeah, uh, Nealon did his last year that year. Uh-huh. Sandler did his last year that year. That was Farley's last year, and then there was a whack of people that were part of the part of the cast. Michael, Mc- oh, maybe not Michael McKeon, uh, Chris Elliott. I think McKeon. Um, well, the next season, I think Chris Elliott came. But McKeon, I think, was already on the in the cast. Jay Moore. That, Jay Moore. Yeah, that might yeah, have been just, Jay Moore's last. They just dumped a whole they, whack of people. Yeah, they really did. And it's kind of funny how the season actually ended, which was memorable for me too. I don't know if you remember. Remind me of this. This sketch. It was a Norm McDonald sketch, so it was a really weird sketch. But it was Tim Meadows, Chris Farley, Jay Moore, Norm McDonald, and Adam Sandler playing themselves. And they were at. They snuck into the Central Park Zoo, and they were at the polar bear cage. And one by one. They found different reasons just to basically jump into the polar bear enclosure and they get mauled. 
And it was such a weird, and I like it. I rewatched it um, this morning actually to to make sure that I that I actually remembered it well. And I'm like, did is it was this actually good or was it this something? But I actually, it's a polarizing sketch amongst fans. But it was in a way that it was kind of their way, uh, Norm Macdonald's way of saying goodbye to these cast members is having them mauled by polar bears. And so it's really just funny banter between friends. And like I said, they were playing themselves. Um, but like after Tim Meadows and Jay Moore and, and Adam Sandler jumped into the polar bear cage, Chris's reason for jumping in was, well, I'm going to go get their wallets so I could have some beer money. And then so he jumped in to go retrieve their wallets. And it was just, it was a cut, it was a very weird sketch. And I can see why people might not like it, but that was a way of them basically saying goodbye to the show. It was almost like, um, the infamous after the Robert Downey Jr. Anthony Michael Hall season when there was that fire, fire. and Lauren like yeah. basically only saved John Lovitz <laughs> from from the fire. <laughs> yeah. That was all, that was kind of that's what that reminded me of is just how they said goodbye. So that was Chris's last ever sketch was him jumping into a polar bear cage at the zoo. Oh wow! <laughs> and then he goes on to uh, a pretty decent movie career and then of course an untimely death at yeah. 33 years old 33 absolutely and i was and, 16 uh, um when when he passed away and that really that was one of the first celebrity deaths um that that really affected me uh was was chris farley's for sure um and that was a couple of months after he hosted the show and yeah. he wasn't in great shape when he hosted the show. He was not. There's, yeah, I mean, they did the the cold open, or not the cold open, but the monologue rather is, gosh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the monologue, he ends up sleeping with Anna Gostire mm-hmm. in in his in his slash her dressing room, while Tim Meadows basically stalls for time and then chris rock stalls for time like i think yeah chris rock was part of it too it was yeah, part of the monologue really like, the, yeah. Lauren and chevy were part of it yeah Lauren and chevy chase were basically i think the idea too was chris was reassuring everybody that he was okay yes so he yeah. was maybe then, reassuring Lauren that he was gonna be all right and then he was reassuring tim meadows and chris rock that he was gonna be okay that's right. but he just looked you know, I know Chris was always pretty overweight, but he looked bad. He looked sweaty. Yeah. He looked, I mean, man, like I remember watching that, even thinking when I was like a 16 year old, you know, he doesn't look great. And unfortunately, you know, he was such a great performer that, that that's not necessarily my lasting memory of him. But, but, uh, but it's just really weird to think that, that he was gone just less than two months after he hosted the show that's bananas i didn't realize it was that close yeah yeah it was i think october he hosted and by december he passed away maybe it was december, december 18th or something away, right? yeah. yeah oh well it goes without saying that that he was lightning in a bottle yeah and uh we only had him for a short time but i think that voters for the hall of fame would be remiss if they didn't take your nomination and run with it all the way to the voting booth (laughs) and, um, and 
and elect him into the Hall of Fame. Like I think right. he, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, Chris deserves and it. I'll be shocked if he's not. I would be you too, know? definitely. Yeah, I think you did a great job. Oh, thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about somebody who I genuinely, a performer who I genuinely loved watching. Awesome. Oh, yes. What a terrific talk that was with our friend Thomas Senna. Thomas, thank you so much for stopping by. We'll be hearing from you again in the future for sure as you add another not ready for primetime player or musical guest or host or writer to the ballot. Time will tell just who that will be and when that will be, but you can rest assured that you'll be hearing from SNL superfan Thomas Senna again. Really great conversation. And uh, I'm thrilled I got the chance to have it. Off the top of the show, I was talking about Farley's career potentially being a little shorter than normal. Uh, and maybe that uh, buggering up his chances of getting into the Hall of Fame. But, you know, if you look backwards, at the time that Farley was on the cast, that was a pretty standard amount of time. Uh, nobody was really creeping into the into the eight, nine, ten year category outside of Phil Hartman at that time. Uh, and I believe for a time, Phil Hartman was the longest tenured SNL cast member soon eclipsed by Tim Meadows. So there's that. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Hope it all makes sense to you. If you have any questions or concerns, don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Jamie at SNLHOF.com. I'd love to hear from you. But for now, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the SNL Hall of Fame. So as you walk out the door, don't forget to please turn out the lights because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcast. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next month in the hall. and such.